What's up, Whisper Nation, and welcome into part two of the TFW matchup show breakdown. As always, we're going to go through every single matchup on the week five slate, but this time we're breaking it up. We're getting everybody on staff with the Fantasy Whispers to come in and handle a few matchups. Yes, we're back again. We're back again. Here, let's pump up the volume. Right here. And tonight's matchup, uh, tonight's breakdown of four matchups, I'm joined by none other than Austin Sear. Austin, you can find him over at, on Twitter, at Austin underscore R underscore Sear. What is up, ARC? How's it going, brother? Man, it's going really good. I am excited for this slate of games. Things are starting to even out. Numbers are coming in and sense is starting to be made. How are you doing, Travis? Oh, good, man. I mean, it's a little bit weird, right? Like normally you say, okay, about four weeks, you understand uh, what's going on in the NFL, as you kind of alluded to there. But then we've got the COVID offseason. We've got uh, the COVID in-season. We've got all these things kind of working around now. And so um, waiver wire more important than ever, trading more important than ever. And then, you know, kind of just like trying to figure out the pulse of your team, uh, your fantasy team, the teams you follow, um, and all these players in, you know, in to boot. So, Without further ado, we're going to jump right into that first game, Austin. We've got Cincinnati, or Cincinnati, uh, Cincinnati visiting the Baltimore Ravens here. This is a 52-point over-under. We've got yeah. Baltimore heavily favored by 13-and-a-half. What's interesting about this game um, is it opened at like around 46 over-under. Mm-hmm. So it's already jumped up in points. The line stayed about the same. When we look at the Cincinnati side, Austin, we've got this really pass-heavy Cincinnati offense, mm-hmm. and we've got Joe Burrow kind of looking like he was made to play in the NFL. Yeah, he does. It's a rookie quarterback coming in, playing like a plus-year borderline veteran. And Joe Burrow, man, he's been taking so much heat despite the amount of pressures, despite the number of sacks that he's endured. He's still getting the ball out at an extremely high rate. He's been pretty healthy and accurate with the ball as well. And those wide receivers are starting to come into form as well. I love the weapons that Cincinnati has. I think that they're set up for both this year and for the future, along with their running back situation. And Cincinnati, I was not a fan of this team from their playmaking position coming in. And they're kind of surprising me on what they're capable of. I mean, we, we all talked about Joe Burrow's 60 plus pass attempts and we know what he's capable of there. And as that line and timing gets better, it's only going to improve the efficiency and the numbers for that team overall. Yeah, you know, it's funny you said that because we actually talked a couple of weeks ago um, and you said maybe not be as harsh on rookies as you have been in the past, right? Yeah. Maybe rookies are actually either, whether it's the COVID offseason or what, they're actually developing a little bit quicker in these offenses. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Joe Burrow seems to be no exception to that rule. The confidence meter, though, in this matchup against Baltimore, where are you at? Because Baltimore's kind of been all over the map. They've had, they've had good pressure. They've been good on defense, but that's really up front. And when you look at the pass defense, that's where they've kind of allowed around 21 points to uh, to quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling? How should Whisper Nation feel about Joe Burrow in this matchup? <sighs> Joe Burrow is the number 12 quarterback overall. The way that we talk about Joe Burrow would make you think he's in a top five position. And the reality is he's a borderline start in a 12-team league. Um, it's a definite streamable quarterback week in, week out, going up against the number four overall pass defense in the Baltimore Ravens would not give me confidence to start Joe Burrow. 
but it is a, if you have to, and the ultimate answer to, should I start this person is always the same. Who else would you be starting? Right. right. And if, if you don't have somebody better, like, would you be starting Joe Flacco or Joe Burrow? I'm going to, if uh, between yeah. the Joes, I'm going Joe from, from Cincinnati on this one. Um, so it's not an ideal situation for Joe Burrow pairing up against the Baltimore Ravens defense. But I will say that it's difficult to predict when we're dealing with a rookie quarterback who's, in-game knowledge and experience goes up so much every single game. And Joe Burrow was the type of player to absorb every experience that he has. That's the way it looks like at least this early on in the season. And if you look at the difference between his last year at LSU and the year before the jump, the man made in terms of his overall football and quarterbacking abilities was immense. So I would believe that game in and game out, he's going to make strides. And he's a big time player who wants to show up in big moments. He knows that he's going to be significantly. um, uh, He's not going to be expecting to be doing a lot against Baltimore. And I think that could allow for him to surprise some people. Don't start him if you've got a better option. Um, But uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him do something potentially a little bit sneaky. And the one thing I want to throw in there with it is that Joe Burrow is the number 12 quarterback. Um, He hasn't dipped below 15 points in a week. So his floor is pretty darn high for you. And he's been under so much pressure. I mean, he's tied for number two in the amount of sacks taken, and he leads the league in the amount of pressured dropbacks. And so for me, it's like, well, what else is Baltimore going to do to him? Right? Like, okay, they're bringing pressure. Joe Burrow has been dealing with pressure every single game. Is it going to be that much more? The guy has no time anyways. So I think he's kind of prepared for a team like this coming into it. Um, He's prepared for sacks. He's prepared for pressure. Um, And I think he might be able to rise to this occasion. I wouldn't start him if I could avoid it, but um, I'm not surprised to see him perform this week. So we've got uh, Joe Burrow kind of handled there, but his other, the other Joe in the offense is Joe Mixon and and going up against a bottom 10, as far as matchup that you want to exploit, Baltimore, a top 10 rushing defense against the fantasy running back. And Joe Mixon is coming off a monster game. Uh, a breakout game, if you will, after a lot of doubt on his, um, you know, production this season so far, you're obviously starting Joe Mixon here, but maybe temper yeah. expectations. He's not facing Jacksonville again this week. Before last week, we were tempering expectations across the board for Joe Mixon, looking like a very pedestrian year ahead for him. And then he played Jacksonville last week, busted out for 151 yards on 25 carries. And Jacksonville's defense is kind of low-key all right. I mean, they're right around in the middle. They're a number 13 run defense um, as of now. So it's not like this was a wash, gimme matchup. He had to go up against a team that knew how to play and defend the run, and he still performed and had his best game of the year. So it's obviously not an ideal situation dealing with Baltimore, but neither was Jacksonville, and look at the way he performed. Uh, moving to the pass catchers in this offense, we've had A.J. Green get volume at the beginning of the year, now kind of looking like maybe he is washed, like fantasy football yeah. Twitter is saying. We've got T. Higgins uh, kind of developing some more rapport. He's a, essentially a wide receiver in a tight end's body. Then you've got Tyler Boyd, uh, just the volume, the guy out of the slot, and then, of course, the tight end Drew Sample after the Uzuma injury a couple weeks ago. What's your finger on the pulse telling you here with these pass catchers here? This was a really interesting group of pass catchers to take a little bit of a deeper dive on. I was expecting AJ Green to be the second or third wide receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals. The dude is number four. Uh, He's the number four wide receiver on the team behind Mike Thomas. Uh, AJ Green for the entire year has scored 11.9 fantasy points. 
And he has been active and like pretty healthy for every single game. Aside from AJ Green, Tyler Boyd has been a not I want to say a surprise. If you drafted Tyler Boyd, you had expectations for him to take a leg up. And I think he's done that. He's done that at a decent rate. He's had a 79% overall snap percentage. He leads the team. Um, He's had at least seven receptions and 70 yards in the last three weeks, including 120 yards on 10 catches week three. He looks to be Joe Burrow's favorite target. He looks to be performing with the opportunities he's given. And the number two wide receiver now stepping up, speaking of rookies and having impactful performances is T Higgins, Uh, 57% snap percentage overall, but that number's only going up. The man wasn't even active in week one Uh, last week, went four for seven, 77 yards. And I think you're going to just see more and more of that as he becomes an integral part of this team developing more and more rapport with Joe Burrow. Are you trusting T Higgins given the draft capital, given the snap share percentage going up? Are you trusting T Higgins season long? I mean, given Mm -hmm. AJ Green's decline, what's your thermometer there on T Higgins? I would not sell out AJ Green just yet. I believe it takes receivers more time than any other position to overcome a slow start and to uh, get to the levels that you expect them to. I'm not saying AJ Green's going to happen. I'm not calling AJ Green a buy low candidate, but for somebody with as much pedigree as AJ Green does, he's dealt with a lot of adversity in his life. Now, is he giving up? Uh, He'll tell us. We'll see based on the way he performs in the second half of the season as we get closer to that point in time. But I'm not going to go ahead and lock T Higgins into that number one role. When you do have a healthy AJ green, who keep in mind was out all of last season is playing with a new quarterback for the first time in his life, new coach as well. And I would wait and see before I'm going to anoint T Higgins. But if you've got him in dynasty, I'm really happy about that. I think him and Joe Burrow are going to have a good long relationship, similar to how Andy Dalton and AJ green had a long standing relationship when they came into the league at the same point in time. Cincinnati Bengals fans don't want to hear you mention Joe Burrow and, and Andy Dalton in the same breath, but we'll, we'll, we'll roll with that one. Hopefully he does. They had some good years. They had some good yeah. years. Hey, listen, I think they won a little bit more, but I, I understand what you're saying there a hundred percent. On the other side of the ball, we got the Baltimore Ravens, Austin, and, and we've got a situation where I think it's a new week and mm-hmm. it's a new question every time on, do we have any new sense of what's going on in this backfield? You know, we know it's Lamar Jackson and we know it's Mark Andrews yep. and, and and we're hoping that Marquise Brown has that breakout. But we're looking at this backfield and going like, I don't I don't know that you can start any of these guys anyway. This is a really interesting backfield to take a look at, and it is going to either work out to be something you end up wanting to stay away from or somebody emerges. Maybe we see an injury. But take a look at some of these numbers here. Let me break it down real quick. We got three. We got Gus Edwards. We got Mark Ingram. We got J.K. Dobbins, right? Um, The snap shares in week four, uh, Gus Edwards, 39%. Mark Ingram, 25%. J.K. Dobbins, 37%. Uh, So Mark Ingram, who is the undisputed start of those three, was in for the least amount of snaps at 25%. He's also what's going on. I know he's also averaging the lowest amount of yards per carry for the season week in week out as well at 4.4 yards per carry. Not bad, 
but sure as heck ain't a 6.2 yards per carry you're looking at from Gus Edwards or on a limited sample size, 6.1 yards per carry from J.K. Dobbins, who is more of that pass catching option for them. But Mark Ingram leads the way with seven red zone attempts compared to just two for Gus Edwards and two for J.K. Dobbins. So Mark Ingram appears to be that trusted role. He's got a longstanding relationship with John Harbaugh. We know him and Lamar Jackson and Big Trust and everything that they were rolling through. There's that trust there. And Mark Ingram isn't messing up, but he's not performing the best of those three. His snap share percentage continues to dwindle as those other running backs continues to rise. So this might be a situation where if you had Mark Ingram right now, he's still the name. He's still the one you're starting. It might be a good opportunity to try to trade him out. I'm thinking about that because it is a committee situation over here. You take away those touchdown work coming to Mark Ingram. And, and Mark Ingram is not a quarter, a running back you want to be starting. Yeah. So do you start anyone in this backfield? If again, the same answer, right? If you depends on who you're starting, but I rather okay, start. So l- let me, let me give you this scenario because I think uh, two weeks ago, or even last week, you'd be saying Daryl Henderson is an RB one. You should put him in your lineup. Yeah. Then he underperformed. Cam Akers is on his way back. So Daryl Henderson or the start from this Baltimore backfield. And who would that be? I would still go with Daryl Henderson because of the pop okay. factor that Daryl Henderson brings. Mark Ingram's role, he's, 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 not, he's not overly impressing with the limited amount of touches that he has gotten, even if he does get that red zone work. I think he's you know on a flex status. You feel pretty good about him in a flex position. You still start him right now until we see an actual official sea change happen and then say, you know what, Mark, you're a really good, you know, maybe second or third runner for us. That still hasn't happened. He's the guy you want. You start him in your flex. And then uh, lastly here, I, I do want to hit on Marquise Brown because I think, you know, Whisper Nation was asking me a lot in the DMs this week for a buy-low candidate. Mar- yeah. Marquise Brown is a buy-low guy for me. I think that a lot of things are, are gearing up to maybe for him to have some pop weeks. Do you think this is the week that happens? And what are you seeing out of Marquise Brown, Hollywood Brown? Marquise Brown is the big play option for them who's in on the field more than any other wide receiver. He's there 75% of the time compared to Boykin at 54% and Willie Sneed at 56%. So Marquise Brown is the wide receiver that they want to see out there on the field. We know they run a lot of interesting packages, a lot of run heavy uh, options. Mark Andrews is involved a lot, but Marquise Brown is that wide receiver of choice there. Um, but he has been a disappointment this season, 24 overall fantasy points, um, 2.33 yards per route run though, which is significantly higher than Boykin or Snead at respective 1.14 and 1.39. So, you know, if Willie Snead came in and had a big game and he could jump ahead and you'd have fantasy football Twitter talking a little bit about his Snead, the, ca- the guy to own. No, it's not. It's, it's Marquise Brown, and it just needs to have that game where they click it in. But I think that what you're seeing right now from Marquise Brown could be what you do see throughout the entire season. And it's not like he's going to get right, and then he's playing and a must start. It's going to be a matchup-based boom or bust option who can always take it to the house on like any given play. But we know what this team is about. They want to run the ball. They have three good running backs plus Lamar Jackson, and they play ahead most of the time. Um, and Mark Andrews is is the pass catcher you really want to have over there at Baltimore Ravens. I'm kind of excited about Marquise Brown. Maybe I just love the upside so much every week, but I'm excited about this week going up against the Bengals, who should push the ball down the field yeah. quite a bit and really test the Baltimore uh, and this line and this over under here. So I think you could you could start similar to the the Ingram situation. You could start Marquise Brown in a flex, and and if he hits, he's one of those uh, weak winners, you know. Yeah. All right. So moving on to our next matchup, this this one, honestly, Austin, is, is one of the more fruitful, likely to be more fruitful fantasy matchups on the slate. It's 54 and a half point over under with Atlanta hosting the Carolina Panthers. That's the third highest over under 
You've got Atlanta barely favored here, three and a half at home. Um, and so we've got a situation here where Carolina may be coming off the best offense, offensive day they had, at least for Teddy Bridgewater. And you have Mike Davis just filling in very admirably for Christian McCaffrey. When you look at what's going on with this offense, especially in Mike Davis, I mean, you've got to be really happy, especially if you were a CMC GM and you swoop Davis up. Definitely. The opportunity and the production that Mike Davis has put forward for the Carolina Panthers has made anybody who spent their waiver prior priority or some fob on him very happy. Uh, 4.4 yards per carry over his last two games compared to CMC's 3.8 yards per carry so uh, thus far. He's better. He is better in every – yeah, they're going to just let CMC keep sitting out. They're going to pull that Billichick yeah. route. And, oh, one running back's healthy. Just you sit down. No, we know that uh, Christian McCaffrey is also off to a strange start um, in his own way, but he was balling out. He had over 20 fantasy points per game as where Mike Davis um, has not put up those same types of numbers, but he just hasn't been able to get in the end zone and do the same types of big plays that he has, but on a snap-by-snap basis – uh, Mike Davis is looking pretty good. He's getting 14 and a half touches uh, per game on the ground. Uh, he's a really, really good fill-in. Um, I mean, and, and one of the other things about Mike Davis is if you look at Pro Football Focus's premier stats from the elusive rankings for Mike Davis, he's actually the number one in terms of legitimate running backs. I mean, A.J. Dillon, Jalen Richard, and Jason Huntley are ahead of him who have like seven combined carries, carries between all of them yeah. yeah so anybody yeah. who's had legitimate carries mike davis is is performing really well he's performing well from a fantasy perspective a football perspective um he's not going to last though once cmc comes back we know there's one week ahead but i would feel really good about starting him against the atlanta falcons i'd try to move him if i could at this point like if i mean maybe you get this one more game out of him but if you could sell him to another rb thirsty team in your league and you're sitting at a situation where you've got wins and you could afford like stacking up something uh, for the stretch run. I think Mike Davis is a nice sell high because obviously CMC will be back. But DJ Moore truthers, Austin, want to know what the heck is going on with your boy DJ Moore because Robbie Anderson has emerged merged as a guy getting a good amount of targets in this offense. Break us down with these pass catchers over in Carolina. Yeah, DJ Moore is doing all right, but Robbie Anderson is doing really well. And I'm excited to see what Robbie Anderson's about. I was a Robbie Anderson truth over when he was with the Jets and always wanted to see him do what he's capable of. We're talking about a six foot three speed demon and Teddy Bridgewater and him have some real report. You're talking about him getting a lot of getting a lot of looks. He's getting the most looks on the team at 34 mm-hmm. targets on the season. DJ Moore's right there at 32 targets on the season, but Robbie Anderson has been pulling them in at a much efficient, more efficient rate. 28 grabs on those 34 carats carrots uh on those (laughs) targets compared with 18 catches for dj Moore on 32 targets overall uh and robbie anderson's got 90 more yards um he's going at a 2.86 yards per route run uh compared to 2.04 yards per route run the only category dj Moore has ahead of robbie anderson at this point is red zone catches he's got three robbie anderson's got two but Robbie Anderson's got six targets compared to DJ Moore's three targets. And Robbie Anderson has just really been like this model of consistency. Three out of his four games have had 99 yards or more. And he really looks like he's building strong rapport over there with Teddy Bridgewater. I think DJ Moore is going to be just fine. Um, I haven't done the math on this last performance, but before we were thinking he was down through three weeks and he was still on pace for 1200 yards. So I think that DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson are going to be fine plays, continuing to develop more rapport with Teddy Bridgewater moving on. 
but Robbie Anderson might end up being that wide receiver one for the Carolina Panthers. He's got the skill set to do it. Neither one of these wide receivers had rapport with Teddy Bridgewater coming in. So to say that it's going to be DJ Moore, I, I don't know what case you can really make for that. Yeah, what's interesting about this year is actually DJ Moore's ADOT is higher than Robbie Anderson's. So they've got DJ Moore kind of using him as the downfield threat. And then Robbie Anderson almost as your possession wide receiver. Yeah. Kind of a wild situation. Uh, that they're doing here. But I think what we did see uh, against Arizona last week is, you know, this offense get to where they wanted to be, which was a high powered offense throwing all over the place and, and kind of doing what they want to do. But Teddy Bridgewater is kind of the question for me. Uh, well, let's keep it here with the wide receivers just really quick. I think you're probably firing up both of these guys in this exploitable matchup against Atlanta, right? Wide receiver three, wide receiver two range for, for both of these guys. You're getting them both in your lineups for sure. And the one thing I do want to say about DJ Moore, if you've got DJ Moore out there and you're feeling really depressed about, oh my God, Robbie Anderson's going to come and take it over. I'd say take a look at the snap percentage on both of these wideouts. Last week, Robbie Anderson came in at a cool 57% snap share. Uh, DJ Moore was at 71%. So that's a wide gap there, 71 to 57%. DJ Moore is their number one target. He's the guy built into the playbook. Uh, Robbie Anderson just might up you off to a quick start with Teddy Bridgewater or the way they use him might be in a better way. But DJ Moore is an integral part of this offense. You're not taking him out of your lineup. Um, and and it's, it's, it's going to develop. And I think it's only going to get better probably for both of them too. Bridgewater had his best game of the season last week. In most leagues, that was about a 30-point uh, matchup there that he got you if you were able to stream him last week and Atlanta coming into this game giving up five more points per game than any other team to the quarterback Austin can you go ahead and stream him you've got Stafford you've got Rodgers on by you've got things happening with COVID moving all, all around maybe you're, you want to get your you know you want to dip your toes in the Bridgewater are you are you down to do it this week this is the week to do it. As you mentioned there, the Atlanta Falcons give up the most points of any team in the NFL to the quarterback position. And Teddy Bridgewater has only been getting better and better. Teddy Bridgewater, though, has been pretty underwhelming in terms of a touchdown interception ratio. The man's got four touchdowns through four games and three interceptions. He's broken 300 yards just one time. His rushing is not through the roof. Yeah, he might get you 20 or 30 yards, but he's not going to be someone who has a rush floor the way some other quarterbacks do. But we're going up against a Atlanta Falcons team that just gives up air like it's free. And <laughs> the receivers that Bridgewater is playing with, they're gelled, they're locked in, the run game is good. They just took out a pretty good Arizona Cardinals team. And the Falcons look bad, man. They look... Yeah. They look like they're struggling a lot of ways, defense uh, especially, and that's where I think the Panthers are going to come in and have a really good week. I think everybody that we mentioned here is going to have a solid fantasy performance for the Panthers. I think Dan Quinn benefited from the fact that they lost to the Packers. I mean, you come in here and you lose the Panthers at home. I, I don't know how he could keep his job, but he's kept it this far, so who knows. Speaking of those Atlanta Falcons, though, Austin, we've got to turn it over to them. We've got to talk about all yeah. these injuries to the wide receiving core mm -hmm. um, and what we're seeing here, Ridley go, you know, puts up a big zero last week, uh, uh, you know, this past Monday night. Um, and then you've got Julio with the hamstring. What are you seeing out of this wide receiving core and what can whisper nation feel confident in for this matchup against the Panthers? Well, when you take a look at the injuries that are going on from Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley played, he went over on his five targets. That's a really yeah. big concern to me because he played, he got five targets. He didn't have a single catch. Um, it makes me think that 
Calvin Ridley needs to have all of the pieces connected, working well with each other, almost like when you have a Ferrari and all of the gears are so tightly connected. And if they're not, the Ferrari's not a Ferrari anymore. And it was a small sample size, but I'm very concerned about Calvin Ridley, given that he did play and he did not play well. Julio Jones, we talked about this on earlier episodes, the skill set, the size, the way that that man, Julio Jones, plays the game, even if he's at 75%, I'm starting Julio Jones, but Julio Jones re-aggravated his leg. We'll see how he does moving forward. Um, Keep an eye on that. But now this opens up the door to some other players. Russell Gage has been a hot topic. Um, And now we've got, we can't, we can't leave without mentioning uh, Olamide Zakisis. How is, I don't know if it's Zakias or Zachias. I have no idea. I hate getting names wrong. I'm going to call him Oz. Oh, just go with Oz, OZ. Like, yeah, I like that. I'm gonna call him Oz for the sake of the show. Oz, yes, I like that over here. Um, Oz with uh, (laughs) with the Atlanta Falcons (laughs) over here. Powerful, yeah. Well, I mean, last week he was, he led the team with a 76% snap percentage, and that is with Calvin Ridley and Russell Gage still on the field. He went eight for nine and 86 yards on a touchdownless game from the air. Um, so Oz is somebody yeah. that's kind of sneaky to take a look at right now, given all the injuries. Evan Silva had astutely pointed out that they're not just using OZ as, as the guy that, you know, runs those go routes. They're using him all over, kind of like they did with Julio. So when Julio went down, you know, OZ was that big body, that threat for them. Um, so I would be taking a look at him on your waivers. I think I put him in the waiver wire column. If he's still there after waivers clear by the time you listen to this, take a look. But he, he could be in for a spot start, especially if Ridley's still banged up. And Julio's out. Yeah, he definitely can. Uh, we've got we've got Hayden Hurst to talk about as well. And Austin, I know um, you have been invested in Hurst in a couple of leagues here. How are you feeling about Hurst? He's coming off some good targets. If those guys are banged up, does Hurst get into your lineup? And, and especially this week against Carolina. Yeah, I think that Hurst can be plugged into your lineup really almost any week, given the nature of the Falcons team. Um, the problem is that there's a lot of pass catchers over there and he is that fourth option. He's always going to be that fourth option pretty much. Um, When you're dealing with a team like the Falcons that throw the ball as often as they do, that's going to keep his ceiling high, but his floor is low um, because you're going to have games. I mean, like two weeks ago, he had one catch for a touchdown, which is great. But if he had that touchdown taken away, um, we would really be thinking about Hayden Hurst in a different kind of capacity. Uh, his floor is subterranean, and you'd think he's actually doing better than he is. He's the number 17 tight end in the NFL in points per game, um, and he's number 37 for tight ends in yards per route run. Uh, so he's he's really we know what he's capable of, and playing behind Matt Ryan, you could have a good game at any point in time. But thus far, four games through the season, it's it's not a model of consistency, and it's nothing you can rely on. I think, yeah, you you want to be monitoring those pass catchers' health before you're trusting them in your lineup. Now, we've got to look at this, even though it it kind of stinks to look at it, and that's the running back position over here for the Atlanta Falcons. Todd Gurley disappointing you for the most part. He did get two touchdowns last week against the Green Bay team, um, and this is a smash spot for most running backs against a Carolina team that's bottom of the barrel pretty much for for fantasy running backs uh, to go up against. So what are you feeling with Todd Gurley here? What can you say to give any kind of confidence here? Well, I think that what we've seen from Todd Gurley thus far is what we're going to continue to see unless there's some major changes to the Falcons 
um, overall, like if they end up firing Dan Quinn or they go, if, if maybe an injury comes in something like that. But I think what you're seeing right now is what you're going to continue to see. Uh, in many ways, it's kind of working. What I mean by that is 54% snap percentage. Todd Gurley's enjoying at the moment. Brian Hill is over there at a 26% snap share percentage. And then Ito Smith chilling at 18%. So it's really Brian Hill and Todd Gurley right now. And their stats somewhat reflect that. Now, Todd Gurley's at 3.9 yards per carry. He's gotten uh, 65 touches and 254 yards on the season, which is not awful uh, four touchdowns to go along with that, which is what's really saving him. He's been getting the majority of the goal line work, the red zone work. And if that is what stays, you're, you're all right with Todd Gurley. But as soon as they start giving any of the goal line work over to Brian Hill, um, I would try to get rid and trade Todd Gurley while you still can, because Brian Hill has been a more efficient runner. He just hasn't been given the opportunity. So there would be a need to be an opportunity shift uh, for Todd Gurley to um, lose the value that he currently has. We'll see if that happens. Awesome. We've got a scenario here. You are a Matt Ryan GM. You've got yeah. him on your roster. He's the QB 10 on the, on the year right now, but you're thinking about going to the streaming. Well, you've got Joe Burrow, you've got Gardner Minshew, you've got Teddy Bridgewater there. Are you keeping Ryan locked in your lineup in this matchup? Or are you going to the streaming bucket? <sighs> this is a really nice matchup, but the injury concerns um, that with, uh, Matt Ryan without a Julio Jones, uh, Matt Ryan with a Calvin Ridley, who we don't know where he's at. Um, and then we're talking about Oz and Russell Gage and Hayden Hurst yeah. pulling it in. This is not an Aaron Rodgers situation. This is not a team that's locked in, that's in control. And I would definitely start to consider other options on the waiver. And I've loved Matt Ryan, man. This guy's been such a cool voluminous player. But right now we're talking about one touchdown and one interception combined over the last two weeks against Chicago and against Green Bay. In those games, 238 yards, 285 yards. I mean, you're hoping for at least a major yardage game from Matt Ryan. Like, give me, give me 400 yards, a touchdown, and two picks. No, you're getting 238 yards and a touchdown and nothing. 285 yards and nothing to go along with that. Uh, he's the number 21 quarterback on adjusted completion percentage. So he's even when he's got time, even even when he's he's just not performing that well. He's had back-to-back -back borderline dud games. The good news for him is that Carolina's pass rush is sorry. They've got three sacks on the entire season. Um, so give him a little bit of time to step back. It's a, it's a interdivision game rivalry situation. Um, you could see Matt Ryan saying, no, we're going to go ahead and step up in this one, but I would absolutely be considering waiver wire options moving forward this week and other ones. Yeah. If you can't get it done here, you definitely got to figure another thing out, but I think you're right. I think this is kind of that last week with Matt Ryan. They like say, look, the over under is yeah. high. They're at home. He should be able to rock and roll. Moving on to our next game. This is the actual second highest over under on the docket. We've got the Kansas City Chiefs hosting the Las Vegas Raiders. 57 point over under with the Chiefs heavily favored by 12. Looking at the Las Vegas side of the ball, John Gruden and company. Basically, it's the Josh Jacobs and the Darren Waller show. We know that they're the main veins of this mm -hmm. offense. And you would think, you know, maybe last year you'd say, oh, you want to target Kansas City because you're going to have to throw against them. But they've actually been a top 10 defense against the pass. So I don't know that you're starting uh, Derek Carr in this matchup, even in a streamable situation. But talk to me about those pass catchers, you know, Darren Waller and, and the rest of them at the wide receiver position. Yeah, so Darren Waller, uh, tight end, we know what he is really capable. Last week, he bounced back. Uh, in week three, two for four, nine yards against the Pats, uh, and then performed much better against the Bills. Nine for 12, 88 yards. Um, and they're going to be playing against 
the Chiefs, who faring against the tight end are more difficult than the Bills, but not as difficult as the Patriots. So I think we're going to continue to see Darren Waller have a fine game. And then the pass catching options, the wide receiver position we're keeping an eye on, Nelson Aguilar, Zay Jones, Hunter Renfro, um, if Edwards is still banged up and, and Ruggs doesn't look like to be getting right anytime soon. But Aguilar, you know, with those three guys, it's it's I don't think any one of them is going to break 100 yards. If you had to put one in, it, it would be Nelson Aguilar for me coming off a 91% snap percentage, uh, four for four, 44 yards and one touchdown for him. Um, the only person who had more yards minus uh, Waller was Hunter Renfro, Renfro there with 57 yards on five catches, eight targets. So I'm not excited to start any one of these wide receivers. If you did need to go with one, you could roll out Aguilar or Hunter Renfro, and then watch Zay Jones be the one who catches two yeah. touchdowns. But we're I also mean, at least the thing I like your 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 suggestion on the sorry to cut you off uh, the Aguilar is because he's the one who's found the touchdown. He's found the end zone in, in this in these games. So you kind of like that with Aguilar in in week one, and then also this last week. So, but yeah, I, I would kind of agree with you. I think outside of Waller, like, are you really trusting any of these pass catchers? No, Aguilar would just be the one for me based on his 91% snap share. Zay Jones, 89%. Hunter Renfro, 69%. Um, so I, I, Aguilar would be the guy for me, but I'm not feeling good about any of this given that Derek Carr is averaging just 274 yards um, and two touchdowns a game. He's the number 20 quarterback on the season. Uh, he's he's going to do okay, but he's not going to have a lot of 100-yard uh, receiving options for his wide receivers. Vanilla ice cream at quarterback. Yeah. Uh, Josh Jacobs here is the running back here for the Raiders. Mm -hmm. And he had that monster week one, but he's kind of been ho-hum since. And he's going to, yeah. you know, he continues to face a tough part of his schedule here. How confident are you in this matchup against the Chiefs that they're going to continue to get Jacobs involved here? Or if, is he going to get game, script, game scripted out? I think they're going to keep Jacobs in the game because he's a good playmaker for them, but we might um, need to pause a little bit on the, the breakaway season for Josh Jacobs. As you mentioned there, week one, great game, three touchdowns. My goodness. Heck yeah. But you find, you know, it's easy to find yourself close to the goal line and falling forward and, and getting in the end zone. That opportunity will happen. And I think we might've seen a above average type situation in that week one, given no more touchdowns since week one. I mean, zero week two, zero week three, zero week four. And the part that's kind of concerning to me is the man hasn't broken 93 yards. Um, he hasn't had a ton of yards on the ground. It doesn't look like there's going to be a crazy opportunity for that. And he's the number 33 halfback in terms of elusivity. So he's doing okay, but he's not doing anything crazy. And I had a question about it. You know, he looks a little bit banged up. There's been a couple of moments where he leaves the game. He comes back. This man is tough. You go back to last season and Gruden had to keep him out. There was a moment when he was like, no, Josh Jacobs was, was like trying to cover up his shoulder injury. Josh Jacobs uh, literally was crying when Gruden said, no, man, you can't play. They, that's how much he wanted to keep playing. He's he's not the kind of guy that says, take me out, coach. He stays yeah. in it. He plays no matter what. And I'm wondering if that's having any impact on terms of his efficiency and production. You got to love that heart, man. But sometimes, you know, you need you need to be smart with these guys. Like, come on, uh, get him off the field. So, yeah, I could definitely see a situation where he's banged up. I mean, he got that injury and he was getting stretched out in week two. Yeah. On Monday night, we all saw that. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on. What would be your advice? Would you go ahead and sell him for the right price? Would you would you go yeah. ahead and trade away Josh Jacobs at this point if you could get a, a decent haul, maybe two, you know, 
uh, maybe an RB two and a wide receiver two for, for that haul? I would really be considering that. Um, if you could get somebody buying him at his week one uh, output. Yes. I don't think it's going to stay that way. Um, he might not get right all season. And even if he does get right, we still don't totally know what Josh Jacobs is fully about right now. And there is an unfortunate dimension where Josh Jacobs might be kind of like a David Montgomery who's like good and the right opportunity. And um, you know, he'll get in the end zone when he's the only guy really pushing it. Um, it's going to come down to a lot of opportunity for Josh Jacobs. And if you could go ahead and get a deal um, where somebody doesn't believe he's hurt, somebody believes that he's really the heart and soul of this team. I would go ahead and capitalize on that value. I like that perspective there on the other side of the ball, it's the Kansas city chiefs. And, and we kind of know what to do here. I mean, it's Patrick Mahomes, it's CEH, it's Tyree kill. It's Travis Kelsey. We're confident starting all these guys. They're mm-hmm. rocking and rolling. I think the interesting thing when we were looking at show notes here, Austin was I wanted to see if you could kind of, you know, look in your crystal ball, pull the curtain back and tell me what's going on with the other pieces, the ancillary pieces, the tertiary pieces of the Kansas city passing attack. I think the two most interesting options here, Robinson's always going to be there, but Robinson is not the player you want to be starting. Um, He's just not involved enough. He'll be out there in the game, but he's not an integral part. The two interesting players to take a look at is Sammy Watkins and Miko Hardman. And Sammy Watkins is on the field a lot more than Miko Hardman is 82% snap share compared to a 46% snap share for Miko Hardman. Um, More targets for Sammy Watkins, 27 targets compared to Miko's 14. But when we look at the yards per route run, it's Miko Hardman, 1.69 compared to 1.51. And even when we look at the fantasy points per game, Miko comes out ahead, 7.2 points per game compared to six points per game. So Watkins is the number two wide receiver for the Kansas city chiefs, but Miko Hardman is the better fantasy play right now. And if that usage for Miko Hardman and Sammy Watkins flips, Miko Hardman is going to become a real piece uh, to Johnny chagrin. So if that does happen, he's going to be a real player, but he is going to need that opportunity to increase opportunity right now that Sammy Watkins does have a pretty decent stranglehold on. Yeah, so, and well, I mean, what you can kind of, I mean, you can't really bank on injury, but Watkins hasn't ever been the cleanest bill of health either. And so I think that there's a chance, there's a path there for me, Cole Hardman. There's also a path if anything were to happen to Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, I think maybe even CEH yeah. as far as targets that are available in the offense. Um, are you starting either of these ones this week, uh, uh, either Watkins or me, Cole Hardman this week against the Raiders? Or would you try to look elsewhere if you could? Yeah, I'd feel okay. Honestly, starting either one of those guys in my flex, would, would I'd be okay with it. Um, Mikul's the more exciting play. Watkins is the more surefire thing, I would say. Um, and I'd feel all right against him, especially going up against uh, the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, I mean, their pass defense is better than you'd expect. It's, or excuse me, it's, no, it's not. It's, they're the worst, they're the second worst team in the league in terms of pass defense. Um, so yeah, I think that would be good. The only downside could be for the pass catchers in Kansas City is them going up early and then mm. just running the game out. That's what I'd be most concerned of. I do want to bring up talking of the running back, though. We know CEH is locked in. Um, 15 red zone attempts, rushing attempts, no touchdowns. And, wow. he's the, he, and he's the only running back in Kansas City to get any red zone attempts. So let me ask you this, because normally the group think in a fantasy football circle would say, okay, well, regression means that he should see more touchdowns. Mm -hmm. Uh, He should bounce it in for a few more touchdowns. 
But some of the the chirping coming out of Kansas City is he's not the best short yardage guy. Yeah. So are we seeing a situation where maybe this isn't the right player for those touchdowns, or he's going to regress to the mean and get get his fair share of touchdowns here? It's tough to say when we're talking about four games in the NFL um, for the first overall running back taken off the board in this year's draft. But it's also hard to say with, I mean, 15 red zone attempts and, and no touchdowns coming in. And when you watch him play those goal line touches, it, it he's not getting in. He doesn't pass the eye test um, for there either. I think they should be giving other running backs a shot just to see what they can do. Why not? It hasn't worked thus far. And you always know you got Mahomes who can figure something else out. If you want to just be like a, Mike McCarthy and Green Bay Packers team from five years ago and you're first and goal and you just go ahead and throw it four times, like, fine, go for it. You'll probably get it more times than not and win most of your games anyways. But they should, in my estimation, be at least experimenting um, with Daryl Williams or Darwin Thompson. But you also want to keep CEH in that role. He is their most talented halfback. He is doing pretty darn well um, outside of the red zone. So keep him going. Don't kill his confidence. Um, but also start looking elsewhere because you need some efficiency improvement in the red zone. Yeah, just not the biggest guy down there, but he's man, he, he is looking good to your point. All right, our final game here, Austin, in our matchup breakdown for you and I is the New York Jets hosting mm -hmm. the Arizona Cardinals. This is a 47 and a half point over under with the Cardinals favored by six and a half on the road. Man, Arizona back to back losses coming into this, and this is just what the doctor ordered to get you to yeah. the New York Jets so you can try and get right here. When I look at uh, the Arizona Cardinals, I got to I got to give it to fantasy football Twitter. We've got to start with the Kenyon Drake situation, because right now Kenyon Drake owners are all over Twitter, just blasting the poor man. Of course, he's saying, you know, I don't care about your fantasy football teams, as he should say, and you should not blast them on Twitter. But how do you feel about this outlook for this backfield? And do you think this can finally be the get right game for Kenyon Drake? It's an opportunity it's an opportunity for Chase Edmonds also to come in here and stake a higher claim. But when I was doing a little dive into the numbers, I was unpleasantly disappointed in Chase Edmonds's production as well. Um, 3.7 yards per carry for Chase Edmonds compared to 3.8 yards per carry for Kenyon Drake. And Drake is leading the snap percentage there at 65% compared to 37% for Edmonds. Edmonds has been catching more passes out of the backfield. Um, and you compare him on a fantasy points game per basis, 8.4 points per game for Kenyon Drake versus six points per game for Chase Edmonds. Neither one of them are in the top 50 in terms of elusive rankings. I believe that Chase Edmonds at least deserves a shot at, sh at taking the lead role or spelling him. I don't think Kenyon Drake has done anything to stake a real claim as the workhorse running back for the Arizona Cardinals, but also Chase Edmonds hasn't done anything yet to take that role from Kenyon Drake. So there's more involved in a football team than just the stats you put out. Kenyon Drake has had that role. I don't know if they're going to let it go from him, um, but I think they should be giving Chase Edmonds some more opportunity and maybe just to spark a little competition over between those two. Make it a hot-handed approach. Pull a little Sean McVay action into this and say, you know what? We don't have a guaranteed starter. We don't have a workhorse. We got two good running backs who are capable of having monster games any day of the week, and you just don't know which one it is. Watch out, because it could be either. I think they need to start shifting into that direction, but I wouldn't panic on Kenyon Drake because it's not like he's going to lose the job. It's not like, give Edmonds the rock. It's let's go yeah. ahead and see what they're really about. Yeah, it's a situation where the, the you know, Kenyon Drake is not a lead uh, workhorse back. Truthers are really, you know, circling the wagon here because it seems to be a situation where he's just not handling the role very well. Yeah. Uh, but is it maybe a, an off offense that is just not developing yet? 
Um, we saw this a little last year, though. We saw the Cardinals struggle, and then Kingsbury make adjustments and get the running game going, and that kind of sparked the offense. So turning it over to Kyler Murray and those pass catchers, Austin, do you see anything on the horizon for this passing attack? Maybe it's this week against the Jets. Um, how are you feeling You know, as you look at that passing attack with Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, and the bunch? DeAndre Hopkins is locked and loaded, looking like the best, one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, a monster 2.51 yards per route run um, and on like every play, 95% snap percentage last week. Uh, the player to be most excited about for me is Andy Isabella right now. Um, Andy Isabella was only in on the field for 42% of the snaps last week, um, but overall for the season, the man is at 2.21 yards per route run. So when he's in on the field, he's running routes and he's catching passes. He's just really not in on the field that much. And I'm excited to see what uh, what what Andy Isabella is able to do if they do give him more uh, opportunity, which I think that is it's, it's probably the right time for Kirk. Christian Kirk had a nice week last week with that touchdown, but it was the first time all season where you've been happy with any kind of performance out of Christian Kirk. And there really wasn't a lot besides that one play to give you a ton of confidence. Um, 63% snap percentage and 70.75 yards per route run. Um, Fitzgerald isn't going to be a monster. He's not going to be having really any big games. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I doubt he breaks hundred yards this entire season, um, but he is on the field 93% snap share percentage, which ultimately just caps what Andy Isabella or Christian Kirk could do. Um, so it's kind of a wait and see if you got DeAndre Hopkins, you're really excited about that. I would sit and hold on Andy Isabella, keep your fingers crossed. If I had to throw one of these guys in my flex, I would probably go with Andy Isabella right now, but I would feel like it could be any one of those other three options. I would, I would try to keep them out of my lineups until we had a little more clarity. We've got a year and a quarter away from the Cliff Kingsbury hire and an air raid offense that just has really never gotten going, going yet. I'm interested to see if that means more targets for these backs because both Drake and Edmonds are very talented wide receivers out of the backfield, but they just haven't gotten the looks that we, you would like to see Kyler Murray locked and loaded, right? Are, are any, any cause for concern over the last two weeks just hasn't been as sharp, hasn't been as explosive. Uh, are you, are you, are you feeling that? Or are you, are you thinking he's just, he's just figuring out some kinks? I think it's mainly in figuring out kinks. And I don't think you have a lot to worry about where he does figure out those kinks because of how many tools this man has available and how often he pulls many of those tools out. So he might have a down week, you know, last week, just 133 yards uh, through the air, but he had 78 yards rushing and he did have three touchdowns completed as well. Um, so he can get you deep bombs. He can get you on the short attacks. He can get you rushing the ball. And this is a man who wants to win and they're starting to let him let loose. I think he's going to continue to work out these kinks. I mean, I hate to go with the size component of Kyler Murray. I think it's such an over talked about piece. Um, I will say right. just, it's just going to take him a little bit of time though, to figure it out. I think he's a smart enough guy. I think he's extremely crazy talented and super competitive. And I think he's in the perfect situation to have his skill set be nurtured and then to get the most out of Kyler Murray. So don't, don't even worry about it. And despite these weird games, he's still the number five quarterback on the season. And I don't really see anybody. Well, Lamar Jackson's number eight. So Lamar Jackson is, I think will rise ahead and jump in there, but you're going to see Kyler Murray finish as a top eight quarterback. And you're going to be pretty excited to watch him play. Should return the value. If you took him early there, he is a baller a playmaker for sure. And, and the last the thing, Jets, oh, oh, yeah, I just want to say with this, though, the, the thing that really harms Kyler Murray is when he's, when he's under pressure. Um, he is the number 41 quarterback when under pressure. And good news for him, though, is the Jets only have six sacks on the season. So 
not a team that should pressure you at all. Um, they are probably going to throw Joe Flacco out there. So much like uh, this team going off the rails, I'm going to go a little off the rails for this last segment on this last team. Does Joe Flacco get you excited about any playmaker on the jet side of the ball? What, what can you tell us about that offense? It's a, we haven't seen Joe Flacco play in a while. We haven't seen him play for the jets. It's still Adam Gase. It's still a, what a combo. Know, what a combo, right? I mean, Jameson Crowder last week with 104 yards, seven catches, um, good week one as well. Jameson Crowder looks like he could be legit, but it's hard for me to say that a new quarterback coming in is immediately going to pick up or Sam Darnold left off. Um, Hogan and Smith over there as well. I mean, you, you, you had Smith in on the field on 95% of the snaps, 81 yards on seven receptions. Um, Joe Flacco could make something happen as anybody could any given Sunday. It is the NFL. We're talking about a Super Bowl champion over here, but given the dysfunction of the New York Jets, given the lack of pedigree up and down the field, um, given the lack of continuity the man has had with these other playmakers, I am not expecting much. I would not start anybody and if i was thinking about starting somebody and that person went off for 150 yards but i benched him don't feel bad about it you should you should not be starting anybody over here you probably wouldn't be looking at the stats from the jets game anyways if you did you did end up starting you know what i mean like if you you're like oh yeah i'm gonna not start this guy i don't think you're looking back at that game anyways hopefully you're just looking at the cardinal side of the ball but uh yeah man it's it's bleak over there um, you know, especially when you have playmakers like Crowder, you've got a Herndon, guys that you Dude, wanted to be Herndon. good this year. Herndon, yeah. man. Do you know how many points Playmaker. he has on the entire season? Do you know how many points he has on the entire freaking year, four games in? He's played every game. Uh, 10, 15, 20 points, something like that. 5.4 points on the year. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. That's not good. That's not getting it done for you. Um, but we just got it done for you, Austin. We got it done for Whisper Nation. That was four matchups, part two of the week five matchup show with Austin Sear. You can, of course, find him on Twitter at Austin underscore R underscore Sear. Austin, thank you so much. For Austin, I'm Big Travi, and we're the Fantasy Whispers. We're out. Peace. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Fantasy Whispers podcast. You can hear more from John and Travis on Google Play, SoundCloud, and iTunes. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at TF Whispers.